Hola, bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. I'm your host, Tamara Marie. Before we get started with this episode, I have a quick question for you. What are you doing to improve your Spanish this summer? Summer is a time for vacations, for getting away, and you might even be planning on visiting a Spanish-speaking country. So it is the perfect time to improve your conversational skills because let's face it, if you've been learning Spanish for any length of time and you haven't been having regular conversations, you are going to fall behind. So this summer, we are not gonna let you do that. Here at Spanish Con Salsa, we are offering a summer boot camp. This is an eight-week boot camp that will focus on Caribbean Spanish and also Spanish grammar. So we're gonna be looking specifically at the past tense. A lot of people get confused between el imperfecto, el preterito, when do I use which one? And we're also gonna be exploring the Caribbean with Puerto Rican Spanish, Cuban Spanish, and Dominican Spanish. So you will have an opportunity opportunity to improve your Spanish and you'll also be able to attend regular conversation practice sessions facilitated by a native speaker all as a part of our Spanish fluency club this summer so if you are interested go to spanishconsalsa.com slash summer that's spanishconsalsa.com slash summer Registration is open now through Sunday. We have limited spots available. So if you're interested, I encourage you to press pause now before you listen to this episode. Scroll down to the description and click on the link or just go to SpanishConSalsa.com slash summer. Hope to see you in the boot camp. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Bienvenidos. Welcome to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast, the show for Spanish learners that love music, travel, and culture. Close your grammar textbooks, shut down the language apps, and open your ears to how Spanish is spoken in the real world. Let us show you how to go from beginner to bilingual. Here is your host, certified language coach, Tamara Marie. Hola, bienvenidos al episodio 108. Welcome to episode 108 of the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast. In this episode, I have a very special guest who's going to talk all about language, identity, and how that relates to social justice work. We'll also give you some tips if you are thinking about sometime in the future after you uh, get really, really proficient with your Spanish and you're super confident with it, Uh, and you want to maybe start to travel abroad and maybe even move abroad one day, you might be thinking that you need to make some money, right? So she's going to talk to us about how to get started as an interpreter or translator. Now, I know you might be thinking, I'm just trying to learn Spanish. I am not ready for that yet. But Jamila is really going to break it down to you so that you understand what it really takes to enter the field if you want to be an interpreter or a translator. And just a little hint, it may not be... Uh, as intimidating or as complicated as you're thinking it is right now. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and get a lot out of this. Now, Jamila will be speaking at an event coming up very, very soon. So make sure you stick around to the end if you want to learn how you can get more information uh, and hear Jamila speak at an event coming up very, very soon. So make sure you listen to the whole episode so that you can hear uh, how you can get in touch with Jamila. But who is Jamila exactly and what is Jami Linguist? 
Well, Jamila Ball Esquire works internationally, and she is the founder of Jami Linguist, which is a multilingual communications department for freedom fighters. Jami Linguist provides interpreting, translation, and various language services to mission-driven organizations. Jamila received her BA in political science and Spanish from Howard University and a certificate in simultaneous interpretation. She specializes in Black-centric language coaching that promotes intercultural connections in the African diaspora. She affectionately refers to herself as a child of the diaspora and a citizen of the world. So here's my conversation with Jamila Ball. Hola, Jamila. Bienvenida a Spanish con Salsa. Welcome to the podcast. Hola. Gracias por tenerme aquí en este espacio. So, Jamila, so I actually met you virtually at an event, and we'll be talking a little bit about about that uh, towards the end of the episode. But before we kind of dive into our topic today, you know we have a lot to talk about. Uh, just introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about you and what it is that you do. Sure, of course. And thanks again for having me here. I'm excited to kind of talk with everyone. And I've been in the in the group of Spanish Con Salsa and kind of seeing all of the dope things that you're doing. And it's, it's very fun. I love the podcast. I, my name is Jamila. I'm the founder and executive director of an organization called Jami Linguists. And Jami actually means community. It can be translated as community in Swahili. And we're a multilingual communications department, I say, for freedom fighters. We provide interpreting, translation, language learning opportunities, cultural connections and exchanges for mission-driven organizations and people who are interested and being closer in community with people of African descent while also learning a language. So I say we, we help people create change in all the languages and we add a little blacky black blackness to it as we do it. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so explain a little bit about how you got started with this idea because there are so many resources for learning languages and I do think that you know representation matters, it's important. A lot of times, especially, you know, being from the U.S. and learning the quote unquote like romance languages like French, Spanish, Portuguese, like normally the resources we see, we don't see people that look like us. And I know ignorantly when I first started learning Spanish, which was back in like middle school. So I'll charge that 12 years old. But um, I really didn't know that there were black people that spoke Spanish, which sounds silly saying it now, because like, obviously, but at the time, like in school, like you just weren't presented with images of people of African descent that spoke all of these other languages. So I would just assume that there weren't any of us out there. So how did you sort of come up with this this idea? I think it's a really awesome idea of just like having that focus, but how did you first sort of come up with it and how did you uh, decide to actually get started with your company? Well, it actually is uh, because of just the work that I've been doing. So I actually did a study abroad in Argentina, which is where I learned uh, Spanish. And I lived there for six months. And I got my certificate in simultaneous interpreting from Howard University. And being at Howard, you know, my professor was from Martinique. She spoke eight languages. My Cuban, you know, Afro-Cubano, he spoke three, four languages. My other professor, so I, and as a young child, even though I, 
I my, I didn't have any family members. And when I was young, I didn't have family members. Now I have Trinidadian family members, Afro-Colombiano family members. So my family is very multinational now as an adult. But growing up, I grew up in a very traditionally Black U.S. household, mother, father. and But my father is from Brooklyn. So he had Dominicanos, Puerto Ricanos. Like he, so he was like, you know, talking to folks out there. He would always say to me, like, como ta usted? And he didn't speak any Spanish, right? <laughs> really? We <laughs> knew that one. <laughs> He could be like, ¿Cómo está usted? right? That's how he would say it with like this like mixed little Brooklyn accent in there. And he made me curious both about language and the African diaspora at a young age. And I think that was like something that sprouted. It was a seed that was planted for me, even though I too, like you, it wasn't like I saw in my neighborhood. I grew up in an area with a lot of um, Puerto Ricans, but I didn't necessarily think about the intersection between race and language and culture and nationality in that way. I was just, I was raised by a Pan-African father. So I was always, you know, and mother who was very, you know, conscious of, of the community and African diaspora and social justice and education. So I think it, that was something that was a seed that was planted in me. But I think the reason I ended up doing this work in this way with language learning and interpreting and translation is because through my work, as an interpreter, I've worked as an interpreter, as a teacher, teaching Spanish um, in, other, in other courses and things. And I've worked as an attorney. And in all of my work, every time I was doing I was always more beneficial because of my ability to speak more than one language and the combination of my personal identity and experience and my cultural competencies. So being a Black woman, being a lesbian, being multilingual, when I go into spaces to talk about education, to talk about social justice, to talk about legal advocacy, the ability of me to communicate that in multiple languages was what made me more valuable in certain spaces. And so I just started thinking, you know, I like to do a lot of things. So I'm like, I don't really want to just be a lawyer. I don't want to just be a teacher. I don't want to just be an interpreter. I kind of want to do all the things and make sure it has an impact on the world. And for me, language was that intersection that gave me that power. Wow, that's uh, that's powerful. And I think that one thing that struck me as I was listening to your story is that I think a lot of times, unfortunately, growing up in, you know, in the United States primarily, but I'm sure it applies to other places as well, you kind of tend to learn whether it's overtly or sort of in a more subtle way that your blackness is a liability, right? Like the messages that we get about beauty, about about worth, about, uh, you know, opportunity in, in, like I said, very subtle and not so subtle ways. Like we, we just grow up learning that your blackness is not something to be celebrated. So the fact that you sort of had that from a young age and that you were able to turn that into an asset really like your identity and also your skill set the combination of those making that uh an, an asset i think is a really powerful story so for anybody out there who's thinking like oh i haven't seen anybody that looks like me doing this work well now you know jamila is somebody <laughs> that uh, that is doing that and she's really trailblazing that sort of idea that yes you can be all of who you are and do what you love so i think that's really awesome and i hope it inspires some people so you, you talked a little bit about uh, growing up and your parents having this more pan-African uh, sort of uh, worldview. But where did you grow up originally? You mentioned your father being from Brooklyn. Is that where you, where you grew up? 
No, I grew up in Hartford, Connecticut, the Hartford area. I was actually born in New Haven. My family's really from New Haven, Connecticut. My mother's side, I should say. My mother is uh, was born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, my father was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. And I was raised in the Hartford area. And for folks who are not familiar with uh, Connecticut, there are Black people in Connecticut. New Haven is yeah. a neighborhood. <laughs> not just Yale. <laughs> very Black neighborhood, as is Hartford. But, you know, I was kind of, I was in the suburbs. I was in the city. I was, I was mixed. But Hartford is my home. We call it the heartbeat. And what was the first uh, foreign language? Well, first, what languages do you speak? And then what was the first language uh, that you learned? Or like what sparked your interest in initially getting started with language learning? My professional languages are English and Spanish, um, as well as AAVE. And I, je m'aussi le français. Et de también. I'm working on Portuguese, which is interesting because estudiando portugués when you like I really follow más portuñol like I speak I'm like when I speak Portuguese and it's funny because I found myself with Portuguese feeling like oh well I can read it I mean when I was in Argentina I went to Brazil and I spoke to folks in Spanish they spoke to me in Portuguese and we were able to have a conversation and it was fine like I could understand them you miss little things here and there but once you figure out how the accent is different it's fairly easy to read and understand so I was like I could speak Portuguese I could learn this when I started I'm like oh I'm like horrible right and so um, it's been really fun exploring Portuguese. My goal now moving forward, I've integrated into my business, my own professional development. So my goal now moving forward is always to learn a new new language each year with French and Portuguese and kind of fine tuning those. French, I actually had an opportunity to learn when I was a kid and I specifically chose Spanish because I was at a very um, New England private school. And one of the young women, who we will say did not look like me, she was one of my palest sisters. Um, <laughs> and she was like, well, why do you, why do you want to learn Spanish? What do you want to do? Be a maid when you grow up? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And she said that to me. And I'm like, I don't want to learn French. Because that's where all the, like in my mind, ignorantly as a child, similar to how you said when you're young, I was in think, seventh or eighth grade, I thought to myself, that's the racist white people language. I don't want to learn French, right? Which is really ignorant to think of because there are all of these people, black folks who speak French, and there's so right. many different people across the world who speak French. But that was my introduction to French. And so for that reason, I said it felt like. Oh, no. And then the irony of being an English speaker and worrying about, like, what's European and what's not. I'm like, I'm already speaking a European language. But right. Okay, so retroactively, I realized how how um, ignorant it was for me to base my feelings and emotions about an entire language on what one seventh grade little girl said to me. But it really cut me off for French for the, a large percentage of my, as a child, I never was interested in French. And it wasn't until I went to college, really, that I started to get more curious about French and more interested in French in addition to Spanish. I just never pursued it in the same way as I pursued Spanish. 
So what was, what did that look like for you? Like when you first started learning Spanish, because you mentioned studying abroad in Argentina, what did that look like for you? Did you follow more of an immersion approach or what do you think was the thing that got you from just being someone who like casually learned Spanish? Like I'm sure some of our listeners are dibbling and dabbling and trying to figure out, <laughs> can they really speak this language fluently? What, what got you from sort of like your initial interest to the point where you feel like, okay, this is a language I'm confident I can speak and I can use professionally? I think, honestly, it's probably the exact opposite of what pushed me away from French is what pushed me towards uh, becoming an interpreter and getting a certification as a simultaneous interpreter. It was because I did get a lot of exposure to people who looked like me, who people who thought like me, whether they looked like me or not, but people who cared about social justice, people who cared about um, creating change in the world. I got a lot of exposure to people who spoke multiple languages and were doing really dope things in the world. And it made me want to be a part of that. And I felt, I, I, did, I think being at Howard, particularly with the professors that I had, I didn't feel like it wasn't an option for me. I think if I had have been in a different environment, I might've thought of the interpreting profession or something like that, you know, wasn't for me. Um, but it felt very comfortable. I mean, and when I say comfortable, I mean, it felt comfortable in the community sense. It was still challenging. Like it's not, you know, an easy profession to, to navigate and things to do. There's a, you know, it definitely requires networking, connecting when you're interested in, in entering into the language field. But it really was just because I, I had people around me that I wanted to connect with. And I think that's my big thing for language learners. And it's the reason why a lot of my work is not just about language justice, but it's also about multilingual community building because I don't know for your listeners if they're familiar with language justice, but language justice, a lot of people are talking about it more so now. And they talk about it more from the perspective of, you know, having interpreters, having translators, creating multilingual spaces where people can choose whatever language they want to speak. But rarely do you hear people in the language justice sphere talking about language learning, right? And my feeling was like, there's all of these really cool people doing these amazing things. I want to be able to talk to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to be able to have a conversation with them. And what if they don't speak English? It just doesn't make sense that that's the only reason I can't talk to them. And I don't want to have to be filtered through an interpreter or a translator all the time. And so that is for me is what made me interested in learning more languages. But the interpreting and translation side, that part felt important because I realized how important it was to have certain voices represented as interpreters. If you think about it, interpreters are helping people negotiate, you know, treaties, um, healthcare, legal contracts, and interpreters are serving as the voices for people in life and death circumstances sometimes. And what happens when that interpreter can't understand your accent because you have a southern drawl? or they can't understand how you how you're Spanish because you're from the DR or you're from some place that they they think that you speak a Spanish that's not standard or you speak an English that's not standard. The cultural competencies of interpreters can cause life or death mistakes for people. That is interesting. I never really thought about that. I mean, I do know you, you I guess when I think of interpreters, you tend to think of it more in like a formal setting, like when there's a speech, you know, or something like at the UN, you've got like all the interpreters are hooked in, right? Like translating all the speeches. But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it does come down to those things just like in the community because there are, you know, 
uh, opportunities like when you go to the hospital, like you, if you have to talk to the doctor, if that's not your native language, you need an interpreter. If you go to court, uh, which is really important to understand what's going on, right? Like there's always an interpreter there. So you're right. I think it is a really important profession. I think is overlooked because I think when you do your job well as an interpreter, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like you become invisible, right? It's like if you're doing your job well, you're just facilitating the communication between other people. So you're not, the spotlight's not necessarily on you in that way because you're just the facilitator. So like how, what would you say to someone who's who's thinking about being an interpreter but thinks that it's just way too difficult or way out of reach? Like, what would you say to someone who's who's like, man, that would be really cool, but they don't really know what it takes to to get there? Yeah. Well, first, I just want to say you're absolutely right around the you're, if you're doing your job well as an interpreter, the people are looking at each other, they're connected to each other and they're not really even thinking about you. Right. And so you do become invisible to a certain extent, ideally. And so I think it's really cool that that you you kind of flag that because that's definitely true. And it's one of the biggest mistakes that untrained bilingual individuals who are not professionally trained or don't understand like the ethics around interpreting a translation make the mistake of inserting themselves into the conversation and becoming a part of the conversation as a, as opposed to just, you know, a link. But for someone who is interested in becoming um, an interpreter or translator or, or working as a linguist in a variety of different ways, honestly, the profession is not as highly regulated as many people think it is. The standard process and path that if you do, you know, Google searches and how to become an interpreter, those kinds of things, people will tell you, get a certification, get your language test, you know, have years and years of experience and all of those different things and it's not that that's wrong it's just that the reality is I find with interpreters are largely freelance are largely independent contractors your skill set absolutely matters once you are confident that your skill set is strong and that you can do the work really the networking and the experience is often more important even than the certification depending on the the field that you're in if you are if you want to be a medical interpreter you will absolutely need to get certified according to your state standards according to the hospital standards depending on where you want to work if you want to be a legal interpreter or a court interpreter you will need to get certified in the to work in the courts the irony about that though is if you get certified to work in the courts the salaries that people make in the courts versus what conferences interpreters make night and day in-house interpreters for you know courts and things like that can make fifty thousand dollars and sometimes less sixty thousand and compared with you know the training and, and the skill set that it takes to be able to do that not everyone you know wants to do all of that work for that salary right but I actually, I think that what works best for people is looking at interpreting and translation and entrepreneurship as something that go hand in hand. Because if you go into the field looking to get a job, I think it's it's a little more challenging because in that situation, that means that you will have, you are at the, you know, you have to basically wait for someone to accept you. For someone, you have to work with other people's standards versus if you create, you know, it, and it doesn't have to be a big business. It could be, you know, a web page, you get out there and you're doing the work um, and you start, people start to recognize your work. They start to see that you're skilled, that you're capable, that you're good. Marketing and professional development and experience, I think are more 
important the certifications for new interpreters. But I do think the professional development piece is what a lot of people forget about. Because even if you have a certification, even if you have had your language tested, language is always evolving and changing. And the certification you got 20 years ago does not guarantee that you are currently professionally competent today. And so ongoing, consistent professional development is essential to keep your skills up. Part of interpreting is you have to be able to hear what someone is saying, understand it, and then translate it on the fly, which I think is a much different skill than just sort of translation where you're doing more written work and you've got that time to sort of like process and look things up and figure it out. So I do think it takes a special kind of person to really deal with that stress, right? Like it's a little bit, maybe of an adrenaline rush. You're like, oh, I got to get this right. And it's all like happening simultaneously versus, oh, I'm going to translate this document. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out how to say it. Like you don't have that time to process when you're interpreting. So you've got to do all of that really, really quickly. So I think it is interesting, though, because like you said, I think people, we, we have all these ideas in our head, like, oh, this must be super difficult to do, or there must be this huge barrier to entry. But like you said, it's not necessarily as regulated as people think. I mean, I know folks have gotten into interpretation. I was like, well, when did you, aren't you supposed to go to school for 10 years to do that? They're like, no, girl, you don't need to do a lesson. <laughs> like, no, girl, I put up a web page. I talked to somebody in these languages and they said you're hired. <laughs> So, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we do have that misconception. So um, I know you have a lot more to say about uh, interpreting and translating. But before I I sort of ask you about that, I do want to ask you more of a lighter question, because I know for sure with all of the translating, interpreting you've done and language learning that something has got lost in translation along the way. So is there like a funny story or something you could share with us of something that happened, whether it was like a mistake you made or something someone else said that you misunderstood that's happened in your language and professional journey? My funny uh, translation and interpreting story, there's a couple couple different ones. One, it, when I was getting my certificate and one of my professors, they were talking about people using online translators. And I will say Google has gotten better now. And I don't, I have looked and they don't have this error now. And they were talking about people using online translation and, and, and you know, things and those kinds of things. And the, the, it, they were trying to say there was a blackout. So I found and they put a space, they typed like black and out. So there was a space between black and out when you type it into the translator. So then they black out, it said there's a black man outside, like negro afuera. <laughs> <laughs> and so my professor told me that we were cracking up laughing. It's just like, okay, yeah, you might wanna, might wanna double check that. I've also seen, um, I've had some translations where I've suggested the clients call for example, there's some things that can be interpreted differently depending on where you are, like the word cohen. You, you know, so I've had clients who have someone inside of their, like a bilingual employee translate something and they'll use that word. And I'm like, well, you might want to use a different word choice given how some other people could read that particular word. You know, there's so many, there's so many caliente. I've had circumstances where you use the word caliente, but if you use it in certain contexts, it could be like aroused sexually. And I'm like, okay, this, this is the wrong kind of hot. <laughs> I have seen so many things mistranslated, which was really one of my motivations for really wanting to learn other languages too. Like I learned Spanish 
And then I started learning Portuguese. I've been dabbling in Arabic. But I think, you know, there is something to knowing on your own, right? Versus having it filtered through someone else's sort of interpretation because you don't know their background. You don't know their identity. You don't know where they're from. So like uh, it, it famously happens, like if you watch stuff on Netflix, right? And you see like the subtitles and you're like, what? Like, that's not what they said, right? But like without knowing the language on your own, like you don't really have a way of of figuring that out. So I do think it's it's really important to also have the cultural competency when you're doing that type of work because some people just think, oh yeah, this is easy. And you know, this is, I know this, but if you don't really have an idea of the international nature of the Spanish language and like almost every other language, right? Like they're spoken in more than one place in different contexts. Um, all that I think is really, really important. Absolutely, absolutely. So if folks want to learn more about translating and interpreting, I know you will be uh, uh, giving a presentation about that this weekend actually coming up at the Sisters Only Language Summit. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and if folks want to join you and hear more about how they can become translators or interpreters? Yes, I am super excited. I will be on January 30th at the Sisters Only Language Summit, and I'll be talking about translating the movement, translation and interpretation and social justice. It will talk about the intersections between social justice and translation and interpreting, but it'll also talk about just really the the nuts and bolts of getting into the the profession and things to consider if you're interested, if you are a multilingual person interested in becoming a translator and interpreter. Starting a business and things to consider if you kind of, in legalese, we say hang a shingle, but if you want to hang a shingle as an interpreter or translator, we'll also talk about different, you know, things that I've seen and, and word choices, ways that translation and interpreting is currently being used out in organizing work. I know folks are saying a lot of what's happening in the world right now. We have a, a global pandemic that requires sharing information. There is there's a fusion between language and technology and technology can really make the lives of translators and interpreters much easier and much more effective to do their work. But you can't take the humanity out of language. And so in social justice, interpreting and translation, humans are essential. Perhaps, I don't want to say more so than in other areas, but definitely, you know, significantly. And so we'll talk about all of that, just getting into the industry, social justice, you know, and I'll take some Q&A for questions for folks if they have. Awesome. So if you're interested in attending Jamila's presentation, just go to sistersonlylanguagesummit.com and you can register there. And I know I will be there. I will be sitting there taking notes as well, because I think that just the whole conversation about language and social justice is something I honestly hadn't given a whole lot of thought to before, uh, before I, I met you and ran across the work that you do. So I'm excited for your presentation. I'll be there this Saturday. I hope you guys can join us too. And para terminar, I'm going to ask you a few questions in Espanol. Lista? Lista, dime. Okay, entonces, ¿por qué este podcast se llama Learn Spanish con Salsa? <laughs> Tengo que preguntarle si tú tienes una canción favorita en español. Pues me encanta salsa. Entonces, La Rebelión por Joy Arroyo, un colombiano. 
Down, sí, Make sí. Colombiana. Pero sí, es una canción que habla de la historia de Colombia, habla de esclavitud, habla de, de la relación entre un hombre negro y una mujer negra, y, pero la canción se pega. Cuando, cuando la escucho, yo quiero bailar y me encanta esa canción. También llorarás, uh, Oscar de León, me encanta. Y pues casi todo, todo salsa me encanta. Aguanile, Mark Anthony también. Soy vieja, me gusta la salsa mucho. <risa> yo también. Con esa canción, eh, Aguanile, es gracioso porque no necesariamente es un... Una canción de español, ¿no? Porque la palabra aguanile no es español. Claro. Es interesante y también es muy rápido. Tienes que hacer un hacer ejercicio, bailar con claro, esa canción. Claro, claro. Tiene toda, razón, <risa> tiene toda razón, sí. Y bueno, ¿y cuál es tu palabra favorita en español? Desarrollo y jabón. <risa> ¿Por qué los dos? Desarrollo porque... A principio fue difícil para mí decir. Okay, desa, 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 desa. <risa> y ahora sí, que tiene la doble R y también la doble L. <risa> ahora que lo puedo decir fácilmente como desarrollo, me encanta. Like, siempre busco oportunidades de decirlo, <risa> decir la palabra. Y um, jabón porque fue un error tremenda. Yo hablé con la mujer con quien viví en Argentina cuando estuve ahí los seis meses y yo dije, mira, um, quiero lavar mi ropa, necesito sopa. <risa> y ella me dijo, ¿necesitas qué? Necesito lavar mi ropa, por favor. Si, si hay sopa, puedo usar la sopa para lavar mi ropa. <risa> y ella me dijo, como, no entiendo quieres usar <risa> y al final ella me dijo y siempre siempre estoy contando esta historia al final ella me dijo ay chica jabón tú quieres jabón <risa> es un error muy, muy común ¿no? sí, 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 y ahora yo dije ok, jabón, jamás voy, voy a olvidarme de esa palabra y la última pregunta, si no tuvieras que trabajar, ¿qué harías con el tiempo adicional? Uh, aprender idiomas, de hecho, sinceramente, y bailar. Perfecto. Entonces, gracias, Jamila. Thank you for participating in our little quick fire round where I asked you those questions in Spanish. And thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. Entonces, gracias. Gracias. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jamila and that you're feeling inspired about possibilities for the future. Maybe you never thought about being a translator or interpreter before, but maybe now uh, after hearing her story, you feel a little bit more like it might actually be in reach. So if you want to check out Jamila's presentation and also ask her some questions, get more details about how you can really get started uh, in this field, make sure you register for the Sisters Only Language Summit. This is the first ever international event for black women passionate about language learning. Uh, we wanted to have an in-person event, but this whole uh, pandemic thing started, so uh, we ended up shifting it to online events, and we are actually having the third 
uh, Sisters Only Language Summit, which again will be virtual this Saturday, January 30th. Uh, so make sure you go to sistersonlylanguagesummit.com to register and reserve your seat so that you can be, I don't want to say in the building because you're probably going to be in your own building. You'll be at home. <laughs> But you still will be able to connect with all the attendees. And we have some awesome presentations. You'll be able to learn about how to use your language in your passion, even when you're not fluent yet. There's also a presentation on heritage languages. uh, So that's going to be really interesting. Discussion about French and also Haitian Creole. There will also be a presentation about American Sign Language. So you get to learn a little bit of ASL. And also, if you didn't know, there's this thing called Black American Sign Language. So uh, you'll get a little bit more information about that, too. And finally, there's a panel discussion on the theme of the event about learning and living a language abroad. So if you've been listening to the Black Expat series on the podcast, you should find this topic particularly interesting. And you also get, again, to ask any questions if you're thinking about moving abroad and it's something that you want to do in the future. So I hope to see you this weekend, Saturday, January 30th at the Sisters Only Language Summit. You can register at sistersonlylanguagesummit.com. And as always, I hope something that you've heard in this episode of the podcast has helped you go at least one step closer from Spanish beginner to bilingual. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to the Learn Spanish Con Salsa podcast at LearnSpanishConSalsa.com.